In honor of God's word, will you please remain standing? This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. It says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Go ahead and have a seat, and let's, let's prepare our hearts as we prepare to dive, dive into this, this message. You know, one thing I'd, I'd like to remind us all that is Pastor Mike started this series called On Track. It's, 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 it's a very monumental series for us because it's, it's probably the first series in a very long time that I can remember that we have gone verse by verse through, an entire, for, through one single book out of the Bible. And it has been a tremendous series, and this series is about what, what does our Christian faith look like if it were to be on track? What does the ideal faith look like? And as we've gone through this, this book, this letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Thessalonica, right, this, this city, Thessalonica, in, in Macedonia, as we write, as we read this letter, we see that Paul has a deep affection for this church, and this church has loved Paul so deeply that there is this amazing connection between the church and the church planter itself. But then specifically in chapter 4, where we've been since, since maybe about mid-June, the letter takes kind of a turn. No longer is it about that connection between Paul and the church, but now as we're moving forward with how well this church is doing, Paul is starting to write instructions for this church. As a matter of fact, verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 says, Finally then, brothers, right, as he's changing, transitioning the tone of the letter, he says, We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For we know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. This encapsulates this idea of if we're going to live a life that's pleasing to God, Paul starts to write some more instruction. And what's interesting here is that that phrase, so that you do so more and more, Paul repeats this often, as in this church had it together in many ways, that this church was doing so well, and Paul is teaching them, hey, double down on what God is already doing amongst you in this congregation. So there is something for us to learn. And just last week, our, one of our elders, Stephen, Stephen Hall, shared with us that this goes on to, if we're going to please God, it, it, it's our call to step into this idea of sanctification, that we as believers, as we give our lives to Jesus, it's not just this one-time commitment that we walk down the aisle, we say a prayer, we get dunked, and we're good to go. But it begins this lifelong process of us being broken and molded and being shaped into the people that God has called us to be, and that is to be more like Jesus. And a part of that 
is reminding us that we are set aside to be different from the culture of the world. And so we learned that even when it comes to things of sexual immorality, we are to be different. Now, as we continue the theme of pleasing God, as, as our lives are meant to be a pleasing aroma to God, we're going to be looking tonight at chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. And we're going to be looking at this big idea that Christians, Christians who are on track, they walk properly around other people. Christians who are on track walk properly around other people. Now we're going to jump into this, but before we do so, let's just take a moment to just pray and to give God our full attention. Let's pray. Father God, as we, as your church, begin to quiet our souls and as we begin to gather around your word, Father, I pray that your message, that your scriptures will be lifted on high so that we may know what it is that you would have for us. Father, I pray for all of us who are hearing this message, Lord, that this, this would speak to our hearts, that you would meet us where we're at and you would draw us closer to you so that we may know your love in a deeper way and so that we may glorify your name in all this. Father, Set our hearts on fire for who you are. Continue to mold us and to shape us and to break us into the people you've called us to be. Be with us. In your name I pray. Amen. So if tonight's message, the big idea, if it's about Christians who are on track and, they, and how they walk properly around other people, the idea of being proper around other people has a lot to do with the audience. You'll see actually in verses 9 through 12, it actually addresses brotherly love, continuing to walk with other believers, but then it also starts to address those who, who live outside the faith. There is kind of a line there, and that's something that we need to address. I think sometimes Christians get uncomfortable with this idea that we draw a line between those who are part of the church and those who are outside the church because I know there are some people who kind of feel like, well, I don't want to be exclusive. We want to be inclusive. When you're right, but the church exists to be exclusively inclusive. As in, we want people to cross a threshold. We want all people to cross the threshold into knowing Christ. So what that said, with that said, what that means is sometimes, and maybe you feel this, there is a distinct atmosphere. When I'm walking with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and then there's other times when I'm with my best friends who are not a part of the church, who are not Christian, there's also this, this other atmosphere that happens. There, that's a part of it. And you know what? The Bible teaches us that we are to conduct ourselves in a way that honors God with both audiences. So tonight, as we look at the audience of those who are part of the church, we're going to be looking at the idea that for those of us who want to grow, who want to be on track, that the Christian on track continues to walk in love toward other believers. That the Christian continues to walk in love toward other believers. 
So let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. It says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. You just take a second here to really consider what is being said in verse 9. When it says, now concerning love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. Why? For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. That there is something so amazing, something so specific, something so special about this church that Paul goes out of his way and says, listen, concerning brotherly love, I don't need to tell you what to do here. Y'all already know this because you, God is with you. you. You're already naturally doing this. And this doesn't happen in the other letters. You're going to see here actually in, in, in Ephesians that Paul, he has to spell it out of what it looks like to show love to other people within the church. But there is something so specific, something wonderful happening within this church that the Apostle Paul, he says, I don't need to tell you what you need to do here because you already know. Now the question then is, what is it? What makes this church so special? What is it about this church that they just get it? Well, actually, if you just turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul wrote this. For we know, brothers, or for, for we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, the Thessalon- Thessalonian church, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, full conviction. That is to say, when the gospel was shared with these people, that they 100%, without certainty, with full assurance, knew that there was a holy God, and they had done messed up. But even though they stood on this side of a fence, God had provided for them a way to be reconciled. That means this is the community of people that fully recognized without a doubt they were broken and that they needed a savior. And it's because of that foundation, that humility, that ability to look at, with, at oneself and see the scars of sin and the brokenness and the pain and the frustration, all these things, and realize that they needed a Savior. That they could look to those who were saved and be like, man, you're celebrating the risen Lord just like me. We are in the same boat. That they could have this love for one another. And let's, let's talk really quick about this love that, that, that Paul talks about. It says here in the English that it's brotherly love. 
And it's good that it says that it's brotherly love because in the Bible, specifically in the New Testament, there's actually four different concepts to the word love. In English, I think we understand this. If I told you that I, I love my brother, and I do for the most part, but I also told you that I love burritos, I hope you would understand that I mean two different types of love, right? Stephen and I, we're, we're pretty good friends. Oftentimes we tell each other that we, we love each other, but I'm pretty sure when he tells me that he loves me, it's not the same way he's telling his wife that he loves her. You see, in English, we understand that there are different types of love. And in the Bible, there are, in the Greek, in the Greek language, there are four different types of love, and you, sh you should know this. Oftentimes, when, when we talk about God's love for us, we are specifically referring to agape love, unconditional love. This is the love that God has for us, that no matter what we do, no matter what we try to earn or how much we mess up, God's love is unconditional. There's nothing we can do to earn God's love more and there's nothing we can do to make him love us less because his love for us isn't based on our merit. It's unconditional. And then we have another type of love called eros love. This is, this is the neurotic love. This is typically what we, we see when, when people talk about, oh, I love this person. There's like that, that lust that, 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 that's, that's in there. This is eros love. This is a love between a husband and a wife. This is, this is something that we see in our culture a lot, Right? There's also storge love, which is a familial love. This is the love that, that parents have for, for their children. But specifically in this passage, we're talking about the fourth kind of love, which is phileo. And specifically, the word that's translated from here is Philadelphia. Have you guys ever heard the word Philadelphia before? Right? The city of brotherly love. That's where they get that concept from. This is the idea that someone who is outside of our immediate family, we consider them, we treat them as family. That we are united in a way that says, no matter what you're going through, we are in this together because you are my family. This is, honestly, in many ways, if, you're, if you serve along other people here, especially at Valley, I can, I can, I can vouch for this. There are people within this church, within our church, that the actual church, that we know that we are family, that we have each other's backs, that we're not going to walk away from each other because of what Christ has done for us. Now, this is the love that we are talking about, and this is the love that the Thessalonians, they excelled at. So much so that Paul himself says here that he doesn't need to explain to them what that kind of love is. But you know what I thought would be fun? What I thought would be fun is actually if we went to a church that needed to have it spelled out for them. So I actually went to Ephesians, and we're looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, and then 31 through 32. Now, contextually, Paul has been painting this picture of what it looks like to be a Christian. As, as, as people have come to know Jesus, they're turning away from their old lifestyle, and they're picking on the new self, the new person that they are in Christ. And now they're, going, they're being called to grow in that life. 
And this is, this is what he says, like, to, to connect with other people who are on this journey with us. This is what it looks like. So this is Ephesians chapter 4. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Probably one of the most crucial parts of that passage is that last part where it says, as God in Christ forgave you you. The church, the church is built on the foundation of grace and mercy that is found in the gospel. The church is founded upon the idea that God, through Christ, forgave us, and it is based on that merit that we can extend that love to others because the truth is none of us are better than another, that we can recognize each other's own brokenness and realize, you know what, I get you. I'm in the same boat. And honestly, I, I was... I was watching a show this week, and I wanted to share this beautiful illustration of that because it, I get into dramas, right? And uh, there, I have some friends who, who ask me to, they have a lot of questions about Christianity, and they ask me to watch this show. And uh, this show has nothing to do with Christianity, but it has a lot to do with forgiveness in it. And in this show, as I, as I, it just blew my mind this week that, that this Apple, of all people, put out this, this show that displayed this amazing feat. And the premise is that there's a this, there's this scene and there's a boss who has hired someone to, hire, to, to run a company. But this person who hired, the, the overarching boss that did the hiring, they only hired this person because they believed that the person was going to run the company into the ground. And they wanted that to happen because this person recently was divorced and that their ex-husband loved this company so much that, that she thought she could get revenge on him by taking the company that he loved and running into the ground. So this other person who ends up becoming the manager of this business, who flew across the country to run this, is, is running it, and eventually, through his kindness, this lady, she, she, she realized that she's wrong. And she decides the right thing to do is to confess that, that she basically made this man uproot his life, come run this business, think that he was going to do really well in something, only to find out that she has been rooting for his demise the whole time. And as she confesses what she has done, this man looks at her. And it's, it's dramatic because the story shows how what, that he himself is going through a divorce in this same moment and looks at her and says, I forgive you. I forgive you for making me uproot my life to change everything, to give me false hope. Because I get it. Divorce makes us all do crazy things. This was a beautiful moment because it's someone who saw brokenness in themselves and brokenness in another 
and was able to extend grace. Now, this was also another beautiful moment because I got to talk about the gospel with my, with my non-Christian friends about this. That, that, was, that came from a secular TV show. But that's the church. And as we look at the Ephesians, as we look at them, how they're, they're called to have no corrupting talk on one another, as they're, as they're looked at to, to let their bitterness, their wrath, their anger, their clamor, their slander be put away, as we look at they are called to be tender-hearted to one another, we look at those things and we think to ourselves, that's all great. I agree with that. But hold on to that. Let's go back to our passage, the, what we're working through right now. In Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 10, he says, Paul says, For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia, as in they're loving others with brotherly love really well. But then he ends with, But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. The Thessalonians, who somehow are shining examples of brotherly love, are encouraged to continue to grow and to spread that love to others. I bring this up because sometimes the question is, how is it that we should grow in our love for others? Especially for those of us who are part of the church, sometimes we, we are like, man, how, what, like, I feel the love of the church. How do, I, how do I go deeper in love? How do I grow in grace? How do I grow in knowing God's love? And how do I extend more of God's love? How do, how do I do this? And that was the question I was asking myself. And as I was going back to that Ephesians passage, as I was reading the idea of not having corrupting talk from our mouths, as the idea that we should extend grace, that we shouldn't be anger and bitter towards other people, I got convicted. I'm going to be honest with you, right? Because I never want to present myself as someone who has it all figured out. I love Christ, and I still have my flesh that I deal with. And as I was reading the word of God, God brought to my attention an individual in my life who I struggle deeply with. And when I say I struggle deeply with this person, I mean like the moment they enter a room that I'm in, I get annoyed. The moment they open their mouth, I get upset. The moment I just hear them mentioned in any conversation, I just get kind of anxious about that. This is someone I really struggle with right now. And this is someone who is within my circle of believers. And as that person was brought to my attention, I realized that's it. To grow deeper into love is for me to recognize my own brokenness and my attitude towards another person. You see, I, I know many of you are, are meeting me now, and some of you have only met me for like a couple months as you've worked with me and children and all these things, and I, I need to confess to you that I haven't always been this charming. <laughs> I haven't always been like this. There was a point in time in my life that I didn't like people, that I wanted to be an accountant, that I didn't like children. That's actually crazy if you ever hear that story. I used to not like children at all. And now I work with children. 
the Lord. <laughs> One of the things that God teaches us is to be humble and to look at the possibility that we could be wrong, right? Because we're broken people. And in those times, God has taught me time and time again to never stop coming to the table with someone. There are people I have collided with many, many, many times in my life, and they are brothers and sisters in the faith. And it would be so easy, and I've done it many times, actually, and I'm like, I'm going to wash my hands of the situation. I'm going to wash my hands of this person. I just need to get them out of my life. I need to just cut them out, and that's fine. And you know what? The world tells you that's okay to do, and maybe for some boundary issues, as you're learning and you're growing, you should be able to do that. But at the same time, Christ's blood covers all multitudes of sin. That there is an ability for you to live your life and to grow and overcome by the power of the gospel for you to continue to love someone without having to cut them out of your life, without having to walk away from the table. Because it's when you come to the table, when you continue to collide, when you're challenged to grow in that capacity, your love changes. Your capacity to love changes. Your ability to love and receive love changes. I... Probably the most beautiful thing I can think of right now when it comes to love is how much I have experienced the love of you as I have struggled with my own health in the last four or five months. Has it been five months? Is it? Now that I have a microphone, I'm going to rap. You got excited. <laughs> our capacity to overcome our own biases, to see how short our own shortcomings with other believers allows us the opportunity to grow. It allows us the opportunity to become more like Christ. And this comes in the section about pleasing God and our sanctification. So if you're challenged by the notion of, man, there are people in my life, even maybe within this church, that you want to wash your hands of, I would beg you, I would plead with you to reconsider because God is calling us to brotherly love, to a love to our family, a family that is built on the death of Jesus, and to come to the table so that God can continue to grow our hearts so that we may be tender with others. And they may experience that love. Now that, that's how we walk properly with those within the church. Because within the church, you know, it's, it's easy to say, like, man, we love everyone. But I, I'm going to be honest with you, and some of you resonated with me. I bet you there are people within your life who are brothers and sisters in Christ that you definitely limit your time around. I'm not calling you to be their best friend. The Word of God isn't calling you to just be their for every beck and call. But the Word of God does call us to continue to grow in our brotherly affections for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, let's look at our relationship with, with those who are outside the body. You see, the Christian who, who is on track, they properly, properly walk in faithfulness around outsiders. Let me say that again. 
the Christian who is on track, they properly walk in faithfulness around outsiders. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 says the following. And, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. This idea of walking along outsiders, the biggest thing here is that we as Christians, at some level, we need to be concerned with our reputation with those who exist outside the Christian faith. This is how we know that, because historically, as you study the letter of Thessalonians, this is the situation that this church found itself in. The, the church of Thessalonica, they, they believed, they believed that, the, that Christ's return was so imminent that it could happen like 10 minutes from now, and it's a good sense of urgency. They believe it so well that they quit working. They quit their jobs. They quit their jobs and like, what's the point? What's the point of taking care of myself? What's the point of taking care of my family? What's the point of doing this or that? Because Christ is going to be back, and man, Let's just, let's just see what happens. But because they have done that, they became a burden to the rest of the church, to the church who cared for them. But also, they started to fall in disrepute with those outside the church because they weren't paying their bills. And by doing so, they dishonored the glory of God because they were demonstrating, they were, whether or not they were actually lazy, they were showing the world that this God doesn't call people to work, that, that we're just going to kick back and just let other people take care of us. And that's not what God has called us to do. It doesn't honor God for us to do that. And so in this, Paul is saying, you need to consider your reputation. So when the verse starts with the word and, he says, practice brotherly love, but now add these ideas to your, yourself. In verse 11, if we back up, it says, to live quietly to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you. And in this, as you, if you were to study this, as you read some commentaries, and if you look at the Greek, you see that this is referring to three different archetypes, three different people that honestly in many ways bring dishonor to God, that do not glorify God. When, when the Bible says to live Quietly, it's speaking of this idea that we are to live in a satisfying peace. When, when the Bible calls us to live quietly, it refers to a satisfying peace that as you, as you live your life, that you can rest in Christ, that you don't have this need to beg, to plead, to, to yell at others. You don't have this sense of dread and anxiety because you know that Christ is enough. But another way of looking at that is that this, this is calling us to not be antagonizers. To not start fights. To not start debates just for the sake of debating. And it's interesting that as we look at this, because as I was preparing this message, I keep thinking about the current state of our world and how easy it is for us to get into arguments. Right now, the internet is a dumpster fire, right? <laughs> It's terrible right now. And listen, listen, listen. I'm not saying you shouldn't take a stand. That you shouldn't 
stand for your morals, stand for your convictions. But can we agree that there is a difference between taking a stand on something versus just sounding off because you just happen to have access to other people who might read what you're writing? There is a huge difference between saying something constructive and progressing a stance, an argument, versus just complaining that things are not going your way. And here's the thing, when we take the time to do that kind of stuff, when we antagonize others, it doesn't look good on Christ. You know, as a pastor here at Valley, we have, many of us in our church, we have social media. And there are many times someone will just sound off about some topic, and then myself, Mike, Stephen may get a call and be like, is this how the church feels about X, Y, or Z? And I'm like, no! That is a reflection on someone else, and they don't realize the damage they are doing. When we sound off, when we antagonize others, when we position ourselves to be argumentative, it doesn't glorify the body. If anything, it actually hurts the body. I can't begin to tell you how many times in the community as I'm working with people, as I'm, trying to, as I'm trying to invite people to church and then someone who is loosely related to, our, to us as a church, they say something, well, this person goes to your church and if that's how you guys feel about this, I'm not gonna, I don't want to even check this out. That happens a lot, a lot. You don't carry the name of Valley. You carry the name of Christ. And everything you say, everything you do, it represents him. And if we're going to live quietly, it's living with this idea that Christ is in control. So respond to things. Act. And I'm not telling you don't, don't like, say things when you need to. But remember, you represent Christ. And you're not helping anyone when you're antagonizing someone just for the sake of argument. And I, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of that too. I, I feel like I'm better about it nowadays, but I'll, I'll, I'll share this with you right now. If you wanted to go on to, like if you're friends with me on, online, I have a large, I have a very large internet footprint because I just love the internet. <laughs> but if you were to go back to like Facebook circa 2007 when it started, at least when it opened up to the rest of the world, you would see that I was on there from the very beginning. And you can read just cringy posts between then, between like, I think, 20-year-old Andrew and 34-year-old, and there are, wow, 14 years of just nonsense. And you will see, I've, I've, I went with it just like everyone else. That You just start to realize, oh, here's a platform for me to express myself and do all these things. But you got to grow. You got to mature through that kind of stuff. And you got to realize that what you say impacts others. We need to be mindful and rest in Christ with that. Now, the next we see that Christ, it, Paul, Paul calls us to mind your own affairs. To mind your own affairs. And there's, there's two ways you could look at this, and one leads into the other. When we talk about the idea of minding your own affairs, that is stewarding the responsibilities given to you by God. To mind your affairs is to take care of yourself, to take care of the things that you have before you, right? 
And that means if you are busy taking care of your health, your family's health, taking care of your house, taking care of your car, taking care of just your work and paying your bills and being a reputable person, you don't have time to be a busybody. You don't have time to gossip. You don't have time to police other people. And that's what we're getting at with the idea of minding your own affairs. Paul calls, calls us right now to look, to look, to look at your life and be like, mind your own affairs. Like in many ways in our culture, we say mind your own business. But in this, God has given us things that we are responsible for. And I don't know about you, but just surviving day to day tends to take up most of my energy. So I don't know who has the energy to just go out and start lambasting other people and to start policing them. Because if you're doing so, you're not minding your affairs. They're going by the wayside. In this, when we are busybodies, when we are gossips, when we, are, when we take it upon ourselves to police other people, when we have not the, the, the leadership potential to actually speak into their lives, we misresent Christ. And in this, it's not a life that is respectable. Now, the last one, Paul calls us to work with your hands as instructed. You know, it, it would be easy to go back and, and say, like, you know, this refers to the idea that, this, that so many people within the, this church, they quit working because they thought Christ was coming back any second, so they weren't minding their own affairs, they weren't doing all these things. In fact, they, they were... They were unemployed, so they were telling everyone else what they were doing wrong, right? In this, we could, we could let, rest on that. But Paul goes out of his way to say to work with your hands. He doesn't say just work. He says work with your hands. And if you understand historically what that meant, it's quite interesting because in Greece at this time, in the Greek culture, manual labor was looked down upon as incredibly low. That People who worked with their hands were not to be as valued as people who were scholars and all these other things. And in many ways, we could say it's, it's the blue-collar worker versus the white-collar worker or all these things. But yet Paul is saying, work with your hands. Do the work that other people aren't willing to do. Go the extra mile. We need to remember, Paul, Paul, who was educated beyond many people, he was a laborer. He made tents. He did the very cultural lowly thing so that he could connect and speak to those who needed Christ. And with all that said, it comes back. It comes back to the idea of mission. You see, the Christian who was on track with their faith, they, they walk properly, right, among others. And others could be those inside the church and others are outside the church. But when we talk about others who are outside the church, we do this because we want to win people to Christ. And if you're busy shooting yourself in the foot, you are hurting your witness and making it harder for yourself to share the gospel. But, 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 if you are growing in love, if you are growing in and your affection for those in the body of Christ, and then applying that love to others outside the church, and if you're walking in a way that is respectable, people start to see, wow, there is something to following the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and they want that. 
that brings glory to God and that gives us the ability to speak into the lives of others. But when we neglect those things, honestly, we just look as angry as anyone else who who doesn't have Jesus. So why? Why would they need this? Why would they even listen then? So brothers and sisters, as as we come to a close with this message, I want to challenge you with a couple things. Number one, if you're like me, who just realized that there's some repentance in my heart that, that needs to happen, when it comes to another person within, within the body of Christ, I'm not even just talking about within our church, but the body of Christ, maybe it's time to come to the table. Maybe it's time to collide with someone so that you can continue to grow. You can't control what other people do, but you can control how you respond. Because if you're the kind of person who's just washing their hands of something, you're going the wrong direction of what Scripture calls us to do. And maybe you're, maybe you're good. Well, then I would ask you, how is your reputation with those outside the church? How is your reputation with those outside the church? You paying your bills? Are you antagonizing people? Are you seen as lazy? All that you do represents Christ. Now, I share this. I share this because Christ is calling us deeper. And if God has convicted you of something in your heart, this is not a time to to pull up your bootstraps. I say this all time and time again, but what this is, it's an opportunity for you right now to have a repentant heart for you to kneel before the King of kings and the throne of thrones to say, thank you, God, for for your standards. And thank you for the blood of Jesus because I don't measure up. And then allow the Spirit of God, now that he's brought that, that to your attention, to mold you, to transform you, and to grow you. Because that, just like what chapter 4 wants, is what pleases God. Because that is us engaging in our sanctification. Let's pray. Father God, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, that you are in control, that you have called us, Lord, to know you, to glorify your name. Father, I pray that your spirit would reveal to us the areas that you would call us to grow, whether it be our love for others within your body, Lord, or for us to consider our reputation with those who are outside your body. No matter what is happening, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to lead us so that you are glorified. Lord, speak to our hearts. Show up and just be close to us. In your name I pray. Amen.